This is Shaka Ward Speak. <laughs> hold on, hold on. What, uh, what, what, is, what is this? Uh, that's just some some inspiration for me. I grew up, you know, an '80s kid, and listening to Africa Bambata and the F- Flash Grabmaster. Uh, yeah, I think I think I've heard of Fur- Furious Five. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. If yeah. you dig what I'm saying, yeah, Soul Sonic Family. So, so L.A. Dream Team. Mm, yeah, yeah. So, uh, is, just to fill you in, uh, those of you who are out there listening, um, Ryan's going to be a little late to uh, our recording today. We got to crunch for time, so instead we've got uh, Ken Ken Gil- Gilbertson. Ken, it's Kenny Gilbertson, but Kenny Rogers is already famous, so I changed it to Ken. Well, I, 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 yeah, that's helpful. I've, I feel like we would uh, we would confuse you uh, with Kenny Rogers. I tend to look well. I used to be decent looking, but I changed it to. Uh, I decided to follow Jimmy Morrison. He went, he went from like a sex object, you know, Dionysian, to, uh, you know, honky tonk, larger, bearded, and profound. Uh, Jim, Jim Morrison? Jim. From, from the doors? Which inspired me to go by Ken. Oh. Instead of Kimmy. Kenny. Kenny. Kenny Gilbertson. Yeah, uh, so. I, I think that's fair. Um, so uh, just just so I'm uh, remembering correctly, uh, Ken, um, wh- who, who are you representing? I am from Southern California. I exhibit exclusively at the Hashback Gallery. The, the Hatchback Gallery. That's right. Um, 35 so- years once a month, uh, ex- solo exhibitions at the Hatchback Gallery. Uh, so you're the you're the curator of the Hatchback Gallery. I'm the painter. Oh, you you oh you are the Hatchback. I paint. Gallery. I paint. You paint. I'm the. Pa- I, this is the thing. So how many galleries do you have to go to? Uh, uh, personally, sure. I mean anybody. Where did, how did how do you get to a gallery? Uh. Well, what's nice here is uh, in Richmond, we can kind of drive one place and then kind of walk into a bunch of different ones. Well, that's what I'm saying. So, see, I, I just decided that I'd just take the gallery to you. Ah. And I popped—see, I popped. See, I couldn't get representation at a couple galleries in Sacramento. So what I did was I decided to turn my car into the Hatchback Gallery. Oh. And I've been painting nudes and landscapes ever since. All oils, all uh, with my touch, yeah. personal touch of my hand, uh-huh. my vision. Uh-huh. And I always thought I was just as good as uh, Wayne Tebow. I always felt like me and Wayne were very similar painters. Very, mm-hmm. uh, We used different color palettes. Um, yeah, yeah. He used nicer paint. Mm-hmm. Probably had better skills than me, I but I felt like we were similar. So I decided that I, I couldn't beat Wayne at his own game. Mm-hmm. So I decided to join him uh, mm-hmm. by taking my show on the road. See, he was showing everywhere. So my question was, how's the work getting there? What I realized is uh, I could save money by driving my car. Excuse me, I got to take a cigarette break. Hold on. 
You do you mind if I smoke? Uh, I, I don't think you're do you, allowed to. But okay, you can. I could turn. I can. I just like to keep a cigarette on my lips just in case. But oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So anyhow, I, I just that's why I'm here. That's how I showed up at your space. I looked up Shaco Art Space. I looked up. Um, I was listening to podcast. Yeah. Uh, several episodes and decided to show up here to see if uh, I could park my car in front of your space and open her up for the next exhibition. Uh, yeah. Um, well, I mean, we'll have to talk to uh, the other people involved. Okay. Um, okay. Well, who so, is it? Oh, there's a feller, uh, uh, Ryan, the, the other feller. Is he, he's coming today? Uh, yeah, I, I hope so. I really hope so. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of his. Uh, well, I, I, uh, I, is uh, should I? Should you got I, some California beef? Well, I've heard about him uh, on your podcast, and oh, um, from from his from his own words, he misrepresents California. Oh well, uh, it's a mischaracterization. Well, I, I think this is a fantastic time for you to just reinform us. Well, in his discussions about painting, he never includes me. Oh, I see. Yes. So oh, I just yeah. thought I'd I'd show up here. I've I've been driving for about fifteen days. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, I had fifteen exhibitions. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Within those fifteen days, same work. Mm-hmm. Some of this work has been around for years. Yeah. Uh, I pulled over in New Mexico and painted a couple Giorgio Keefs. Mm, nice. Oh, what's that? Is that? Oh, is that Ryan coming in? <laughs> I really hope so. Hey, uh, what's going on, you guys? Uh, um, just this is Garrett. Uh, Ken, this is Ken. Hey, Ken. Uh, hey, Ryan. Uh, I'm Ken Gilberson. I'm here on the episode, and I'd like to talk with y'all about doing an exhibition. Uh, Gareth, um, <sighs> I mean, we're we're full. Okay, but uh, can we can we turn the pocket? Could I let uh, me let me have my seat, Ken? And maybe why don't you step in the gallery and then we'll we'll have a talk. How about that? Yeah, I think that's a perfect idea, Ken. Okay. Uh, it'd be great. Okay, boys, uh, I'm going to go uh, over to KFC and get me a six piece, and yeah. uh, maybe we could talk at lunch. How about that? Yeah, we'll uh, uh, we'll call you. Okay, I'm going to head out right here. Here, here's your seat. Oh, thank you. Uh, the seat is hot. Yeah, yeah. That was. Hotboxing some cigarettes. That was man. super weird. Uh, what the heck? Well, dude? at least who he, is that guy? Some dude named uh, Ken, not Kenny, not Kenny, not Kenny. Because uh, I don't know. If Wait, he, is he okay, Ken? We'll yeah, we'll talk in a little bit. Hold tight, pal. He seems nice, but he what the heck, dude? When have you ever let someone else in on our podcast? That's strange. <laughs> um, it, so it wasn't intentional. Okay, to, to be completely honest, right? Uh, I was up here checking some text messages, emails, and stuff. And yeah, then this dude just showed up and. <clears> um, <throat> Was trying to right some cultural wrongs with uh, your misrepresentation of California. No kidding. <laughs> when have I talked bad about California? Uh, it's not that you talked bad about it. I gotcha. think it's that you didn't talk about a certain Ken Gilbertson. Is he a painter? Uh, yeah, he said something like he's uh, he does a lot of work like Tim Tebow. Oh, Tim, Te- Tim Tebow? Yeah, does Tim Tebow paint? Uh, I don't know. Did he say? Wayne Tebow? Maybe. Okay, because yeah. Wayne Tebow is California. I, was I don't so, know if Tim Tebow paints. Was, George Bush does. <laughs> I was so lost on so many things he was saying. I think I glazed over. Yeah. That was just... Uh, he smelled like beef jerky. <laughs> Dude. Uh, well, I mean, he, he, he looked like the effects of a lot of beef jerky. Yeah. Yeah. I love beef jerky, so I saw myself in him. I mean, I don't think he had a <clears throat> terrible idea with his gallery. Interesting. I just am very suspect. Well, what's about it? What's the deal with this gallery? <laughs> so he's got this gallery. He uh, 
more or less uh, couldn't couldn't get representation. Okay. Couldn't get into some spaces. So mm-hmm. he decided, and, and I applaud him for this because you know we're we're a part of something very similar in that uh, he said I think there's a different way to do it. So let me make my own space. Gotcha. And uh, he worked with what he had, which right. I think is fantastic. Uh, which was his car, uh, his hatchback. <laughs> The hatchback. So it's okay. it, it's a self-referential gallery. It's hatch hatchback gallery. Brilliant. Yeah. So he yeah. Uh, drives the okay. show around, and from what it sounds like, uh, is the show here? I think if he's here, the show's here. Intr- oh, I got you. Because <laughs> I, I got. Did he drive from California? Uh, yes, yeah, did fifteen days, <laughs> several stops. Oh um, my goodness. Uh, I'm not sure which okay. uh, highway. Uh, well, off ramps. I guess our. On. Well, maybe. I mean, listen. Maybe this is a. I mean, we've talked about... I mean, I'm not opposed to it. Sure. It's just, uh, that was an unsettling experience. Yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> here we are. I mean, I guess, I guess, uh, are you going to keep that on the podcast? <laughs> are you really recording him? Yeah, I mean, we wow. were recording. Um, okay. I mean, well, we just kind of leave it rolling. Why not? Let's just go for it. I guess I'm going to have to listen to what he said to you, but um, <laughs> yeah, this is funny because we're talking about influences, or we're picking up on... on um, Last week, last uh, week, which was uh, uh, me trying to run too hard into everything that gives me ideas. That's right, and yeah, so yeah. then I had an idea for that, which was uh, where do you get your ideas from? You know, which would include, I guess, some of the the single source influence. Influence, and maybe we can bring Ken in later to find out where. I don't know, or we could talk to him again in the future. Yeah, he said, uh, "Oily is he here for a while?" Um, I I imagine he's going to be in the in the gallery till we. Till we leave. Okay. At least. All right. I, I don't All see right. him driving 15 days to just. No, he came out here. You're feeding him. Oh, yeah. I, you got to, I can't do dinner tonight. So. I mean, that that's fine. Okay. You know, I got a lot of dietary restrictions, so I'm right. going to have fun with that conversation. Okay. Good times. But I feel like he'll be good. Uh, I don't know how long a six, six piece bucket of chicken lasts though. Right. Maybe he'll be good. <laughs> so we'll see. I don't know. But. Okay. Worst case scenario, we just. Hit repeat and give another six piece. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that so, sounds good to me. <laughs> well, welcome to Shaka Art Speak. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Um, like Ryan said, we are talking about where our ideas come from. Because um, this is always something fantastic, right? You've got uh, everybody understands the kind of the cultural paradigm of like writer's block. And so within writing, there's a lot of talk about like how do you come up with ideas? How do you have it happen? Mm-hmm. But um, just in case you're not like hip deep in art and design, um, same thing happens to us. Yeah. Right? And yeah, so yeah. I think it's always good to kind of pop back into a conversation of where those come from, but also to understand maybe why you're doing things or what right, you feel is important right. about what you do. Yeah. You know, there's a lot that goes into these kind of like origins, ideas, things like that. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, I get, imagine if, you know, you get, uh, I think it's always worth every now and then kind of, kind of like trying to step back and just look at where you get your ideas from. But yeah. also to me, it's worth mentioning that like, in in our conversations like we we tend to be really serious and we like to like problem solve and but we also like to have fun yeah hopefully that's known sometimes like the conversation can get so heavy it just makes you feel weighted down and so we don't yeah yeah. just want to have weighted down conversations and we've been feeling like we also want to like open the windows up and bring some fun fresh air in, i guess if you will and I, i i don't use that word lightly it's just to say that one of the the things that I think we haven't talked about is like in a in like the most um, you know even at a pop level it's just like yeah like where where do you, where do you, like where do you Gareth get your ideas from or where do I get my ideas from because I yeah. I do get this question and I get it sometimes from people that are um, uh, entering into a creative field um, and they're trying to I think I think in a good way you're trying to figure out like 
how do I align with you're looking for your crowd, I guess, or your people. Yeah. You're trying to you're trying to figure out if I should be doing this or not. Right. It's almost like sometimes the the question comes from a place of um, is it okay for me to have my ideas from this? Right. You know, that's right. Is exactly this something right. that could actually yeah. be okay, or, yeah, or, yeah, yeah. or is somebody going to say that's not serious enough, or it's too 100%. serious? Or? Which is why that uh, last week's episode made me uncomfortable, is because you know you know that there are people that are going to like look at your or you know the, the sources of inspiration. You know, there's as many people that will be like, ah, that's me too. I I feel the same way. I I had the same experience. And then there's going to be people that are like, that was like totally not my experience. In fact, I think that's like lame or, you know, you're going to get both. And it's like, how do you, I don't know. I I guess I get older. I guess I just want to be more honest with myself and my students or my friends that are makers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because like, it is interesting to find out um, where the overlap might be and why. Yeah, because I think a question like this kind of, it does point to this, um, this kind of unstated maybe um, reality that there is some designation of high low culture. Yep. Right. And 100%. so yeah, we yeah. try to push against it, and mm-hmm. so you, you you feel the 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 struggle between high low culture. Yeah. Um, as if one can't come out of the other, right. or influence the other, or add to, but the actual reality is that when we started way back when, whenever the trajectory for our lives as makers began, most of us were not being introduced to high culture. No. It just wasn't happening. Well, because, yeah, because high culture, you kind of have to go to it. Yeah. It does, it, it rarely comes, like you go to the symphony or yeah, you, that's true. you go to the, you go to the, you know, modern museum. And so, you know, yeah, you but, look but at- Ken Gilbertson comes to you. Ken Gilbertson comes to you, which is interesting. I, I kind of applaud him for that because maybe, maybe, maybe there's something there. Maybe, um, Maybe Ken's onto something. I don't know. I have to see his work first, but um, yeah, you know, is Ken planning on staying in Richmond? Uh, it, it, I, I don't, That's a serious drive. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would, I would say that he'd probably be missing out on a great number I mean, of we shows. Have, if yeah, he didn't hit the East Coast a bit more than just Richmond. I agree. I, you know, one thing I said is we've talked about is having repeat guests on the show. I mean, we have, we do. I mean, side note, we are talking about bringing our pal Ian Hess on. Shout out to Ian wow. Endeavor Gallery. Um, we'll be doing something called, uh, what do you mean by that? Because Ian's really good at listening to our episodes and being like, what the heck did you mean by that? And then he'll break it down. And, and so I'm like, you need to just come on and, uh, go back and dissect us and make us answer the question better. <laughs> like you right. need to hold us accountable. Got a so, human cross-examination. Yeah. So I think, I think that's going to be exciting coming in. So we have talked about bringing people in that are more, you know, Frequent visitors, so maybe Ken, maybe well, Ken's going to be around. We'll I don't see know. how the conversation goes later today, but he may be a repeat visitor. Yeah, that we don't have a choice on. We might. Yeah, that's right. He that's might right. just hang around. Well, what I like is he's carrying the podcast with him. Then if he's listening, that's right. I mean, yeah. he he cared enough about something to travel across. The yeah, if he's listening and he doesn't feel he feels like I'm not counting for him, then we got to write that wrong. Yeah. So we're doing it now. Good. Good. Yep. So then, I, so let's let's pop into it. Okay. So where we let's left off last time, we had both talked about like backgrounds of things that were influential. So the, the background of, uh, um, uh, Warner brothers cartoons for me, the back, uh, the generally star Wars, mm-hmm. um, yeah, generally star Wars. we talked about how those backgrounds, uh, were interesting yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah, so we yeah, kind of yeah. started there. Um, and I had veered into happy meal toys, um, yep. and then kind of pushed back yep. to keep singular on some stuff. So yep, that's right. Um, and we le- we left with a kind of a mutually agreed, like there's something there on human touch. Yeah. Cause with that human touch, I think that the biggest thing for me was really like seeing that 
somebody was involved in it, which yeah. made me feel like I could approach the work, right. um, which has always been my biggest uh, kind of interest in design is that these are things made by people. Right, um, right. I was sharing with somebody uh, this past week. Um, you know, my my daughter is uh, turning six in like a week. Whoa! And uh, so she's she's doing like you know she we got her own little desk where she can be coloring and writing and drawing, and it's one of those like old school like flip top like schoolhouse desks. But when we got it, the thing was covered in rust, and it was just you know just what you would expect from yep. like a 60, 70 year old object. Mm-hmm. And so that wasn't going to come in the house. I definitely wasn't going to let my daughter kind of like, you know, sit and interact with something that was that kind of just gross. So I refinished the whole thing, took it down to the bare parts. Um, and every step of the way, as I was going through this, um, I was realizing that the way this was put together could not have been assembled by a machine. Mm-hmm. Like it could have been folded and bent and manufactured to some extent, um, but there were enough little imperfections and those are the things that drew me in. So as I was refinishing this, I started thinking about like well, the person doing that, that there's a designer behind this, there's mm-hmm. a, a manufacturer, there's a builder, there's mm-hmm. a person that's putting it together, which was oddly enough, like probably not when I was six or seven, but at least when I was you know, 10, 12, 14, I was thinking about that with the objects that I was interacting with. Yeah. So I remember like Ninja Turtles at a most basic level, the Ninja Turtle van that you put batteries in and would shoot the pizzas out of the front. Yep. I remember thinking, somebody made this. Like mm-hmm. that was their. They went to work. I know. And they were, they were like, yeah, make this cool. van that shoots pizzas out of it. Yeah. And even at that level, there was a knowledge of like people being a part of it, and it's always interested me. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the the artifact itself is reflective of of human thinking. I think that's really like uh, part of what it means to be human. Our you know, visually problem solving, thinking about there is that originating idea uh, that then comes off the page into reality. Yeah. You know, which we kind of, I kind of pointed to in the last episode, like, you know, just that for me, the, the, um, the film and then the action figure, and then that creates a nexus or a kind of matrix of, uh, dynamic interplay that has like visuals and f- framework and narrative and you can you can select out of that what you will but it's it's all together in a kind of a milieu a meaningful milieu and um so then when you start thinking about that it's like you're you're coming into contact with a cultural milieu that entails all these facets mm-hmm. without any like framework for it you know so you're coming right. into it as a younger person with raw experience mm-hmm. and so like you know, when we talk about like, where do I, where do I get my ideas from? Um, sometimes it's, it's just directly back to the past. But, um, you know, for me, if I had to say, like, just to jump in, like on like, where, where do I get my ideas from? Yeah. In some way, I mean, if I could be honest, like, uh, sometimes I just get like an itch, you know, like, mm-hmm. like I get like an itch with a color or, um, you know, I guess <clears throat> I swore I would not bring up Plato today, but I'll bring up Plato. Like the philosopher. Yeah. The no, toy. Plato, the, the toy. No, oh, okay. Pla- no, Plato, the philosopher. Uh, <laughs> I was like, you got me. Uh, no, but it's worth, it's worth bringing up Plato and Aristotle <clears throat> only to say there's the famous painting about Athens, you know, where one's pointing up, one's pointing down. Yeah. I mean, there's something true there in a certain way. 
where you're like, sometimes you're like an idea just came from like, it's like it was zapped into my head, man. Like, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Other times it's like my seeing a material and being like that material spun or like, you know, like I, sometimes for me, it's like weird stuff like cardboard or like, yeah, like I'll just look at like products in a store or like it could be like, it could be like, and I, like I, <clears throat> I worked at Kmart when I was younger and uh, the first job I had was end cap display. So I had to design in, in caps, but no one explained to me how to do this. Yeah. So it was kind of like paying, playing Tetris with like uh, toilet rolls, you know, so like you're legitimately. Doing like, you're doing like pixel art. More yeah. Or less. Yeah. So you're, <laughs> and, and you're the feeling of looking for a feel yeah. that is accessible, but also uh, displayable without like as a 16 year old, without thinking about like, without thinking this way about it. Um, was really influential. And so like in some ways, it's still that kind of thing for me. I just have more, I guess, like intellectual resources in my peers and in my education and in all the, the books that you can pick up and read that make you feel better about your instincts. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's like a lot of times it comes from like a, a provoked moment of color or material. Um, and then there's a framework that, that is already there educationally or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, and then, and then it, it conjured, you know, a vision is conjured. Like, how do I bring this itch into focus and does it offer me anything? Does it offer anybody else anything? Mm. Um, and, um, for me, I'm square with painting. So my automatic assumption is when I, when I go to paint, like I believe painting, uh, I'm not really questioning the value or the validity of the act. Yeah. So that's off the table for me. So I'm, I'm working with specifically what does it bring? You know, like what, what could this offer someone? What, um, you know, what, what intervening facts? And so like full disclosure, like right now, uh, if I had to like say some of the things that I think about, I think a lot about English landscape painting and mm. um, I've looked a lot at uh, John Constable's work, mm -hmm. which if you look at my paintings, you would be like, you're lying because, <laughs> but I, but I don't know, like I look at these, um, these, sort of raw sketches of the of English landscapes. Mm -hmm. They're not all the way defined and that space coming back to like now that I'm just saying that to you I'm thinking about like what what I said about Scooby Doo and oh yeah the yeah. brushiness like if uh -huh. I put a Scooby Doo background alongside a John Constable paint uh, uh, paint study of a landscape or a seascape there's something about the behavior of the brush stroke living in between the space of defining mimetically an image but also exhibiting its own kind of uh uh, phenomenological properties that impress themselves upon you in um, in ways that you can't you can't box into a symbol per se. I like the interplay of that. So when I look at that kind of thing, and then I look at you know the product design, like um, uh, the way soap dispensers and bathrooms look, mm -hmm. it's super weird. But I, I you know I let's see if I if I told you like where does that sensibility come from? Like if I look at the, like I always, I've always felt it was funny that uh, soap dispensers almost look like they're ready to fly somewhere. Yeah. Well, why is that? Well, because they have a shape to them that tends to harken back to the way I think spaceships and Star Wars look. Yeah. In some ways. I mean, I can play, I had a collection of them. Super weird. Um, of soap dispensers. Yeah. Soap nice. dispensers that go on a wall. I had a, yeah. a slew of 20 that I was going to show in an exhibition. I had napkin dispensers. There. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Super weird. So I have a collection. Laura's like, you're going to get rid of these? I was like, I don't know. I have a couple hanging in my studio. 
Um, I have noticed that. Okay, yeah. now that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. They're, I just figured you were very uh, specific about your hand products. Yeah, those are painted. I painted them. Nice. Which is sort of why I make the box paintings. But and then my earlier work has the brushy or the, it's the more dynamic interior. So somewhere in there is like this milieu of instinct and impulse and design. And, um, and then I have ideas that exist outside of that, like, you know, like the documentary or like there's things that I want to do in the future that, that are not, um, satisfiable through a painting. Yeah. You know, um, I don't know that. And just to kick it off, I guess. Yeah. What about you? Where, where do you like, you've made some things recently. Like you, I mean, you live in, you know, you live in the world where, where you have what you care about, but then you're also like you have had to historically navigate clients. So like yeah. that's a little different than me, just me sort of like there's our overlap, but there's a difference there. So like, what's that like for you? Where, where are you getting your ideas from? You I know, mean, when it comes to like a project. Okay. So, I mean, you know, within the world of design, if you're practicing now, you're, you're heavily influenced kind of one of two ways, right? I mean, if you're a designer now, you're either kind of leaning hardcore. Uh, well, let me say this. Traditionally, you've either leaned uh, hardcore into, kind of an uber modernism or like a very uh, nondescript uber postmodernism, mm-hmm. right? So, but both of them have their sort of stylistic rules mm-hmm. that are, that govern them both, no matter what the yeah. underlying ideology might say. Um, uh, recently, it seems that there's been a, a better melange of the two where there's been some relaxation of things. Um, and so we all kind of have our lineage within that space. Right where I mean the page is what it is. So if we're talking within a, a print tangible space, you kind of have your your godfathers of soul, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, like a lot of a lot of heavy uh, ideation comes from the uh, the hyper organization and clarity of uh, Swiss uh, sensibilities. Gotcha. Um, so you know, Joseph Mueller Brockman with his idea of gridding uh, pages Mm -hmm. and making things work uh, for the sense of allowing there to be a structure underneath that allows for clear and quick communication. Mm -hmm. Because that's what most of my clients care about, right? They're not, they're not wanting a work of art. Yeah. They're wanting something that communicates a story, a narrative, a a desire, an action to a group of people. Mm -hmm. So it comes from that, but I've always found myself very, um, just like I mentioned with the, the backgrounds of the Warner Brothers cartoons, that's just, the Swiss style was just way too sterile for me. And even as a, a student in undergrad, where this was kind of being shown and, and, and kind of touted and evangelized as like the thing you should do for a page, it, it didn't, it always rubbed me wrong. Mm. Like it just felt too flat. It felt too dead. It felt too cold. Um, and so, um, you know, we all, we're all familiar with the 80 20 rule. And so one thing that I, introduced to my clients in conversations is I'm fine with all this, but 20% of it's got to get weird. Mm-hmm. Like 20% of it's got to get squirrely. Like some kind of departure from what yeah. they, so are you saying that more like there needs to be a wind, like a window of possible, a space of possibility? Um, yeah. I that think, just gives you an autonomy or. I think so. It, yeah. Some of it's that, right? Because you always, uh, it's very easy within a client uh, designer relationship for the client to constantly be the only voice in the room. Gotcha. But, but if that were the case, then why, why was the designer hired? Right. Because you are coming to the designer for something specific. Mm-hmm. So some of it's that, but more than that, it's like saying, um, you know, Hey, if we've got a rhythm and a pattern, 
I mean, it's it's like uh, it's why you got the bridge, right? It's why uh, music is positioned that way because every once in a while you got to change that tempo up. You got to get the beat a little bit different mm-hmm. to just make sure people are still interested. Mm-hmm. To say, hey, you haven't gone to sleep, have you? Right. Wake back up. Um, and so I think there's you know there's something about that where like twenty percent is a surprise. It's interesting. You break that grid. Uh, you introduce a new object. You bring in a color that's surprising. Right. There's there's things that um, I don't think would necessarily be that different from some practices or ideas that people might put into mm-hmm. painting or sculpture or something else, right? Where there's, it's there not for a non-reason, but for a reason to really be different and not off the wall, but just a change. Right. So, you know, if I look at that and if we take just a still from like a Bugs Bunny cartoon, 80% of what you see is going to be Bugs Bunny there with his carrot in his mouth. He's very clear, very defined. It's mm-hmm. a great character. In the background, you got a fuzzier 20%. Mm-hmm. So you have the misregistration of things mm-hmm. where there's a very specific uh, line quality to Bugs Bunny. That line quality is greatly reduced in the background. And so even that, you have stuff that isn't, isn't lining up well, stuff that isn't uh, fully opaque, that has a, 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 an opacity change to it that shows something that feels a little, a little less mechanical. So the same sort of thing within my design space. Um, trying to mimic those same sort so you, of feels. So for you, it's like a, it's almost like a aesthetic, mm, <clears throat> like an aesthetic set of principles. I think that, that are at it. that are lifted out of an experiential world of artistry that has been seated at a time when you, it's like almost like precognitive. Yeah, because even I mean, if I look at any of the cartoons, or you see, think back to like GI Joe and Transformer, they have the same quality of background. Oh, hundred percent. Yeah, right? those, those I mean, had a huge, Even the sound, the even the um, you know, like if you go back and listen, watch the old GI Joe movies. This is hilarious. You're gonna laugh. The sound effects are borrowed from Star Wars. That's hilarious. There's spaceship sound effects and blast <laughs> sound effects that are keenly Star Wars. Now the you know, because because it's hard to imagine this, but in Hollywood and Disney films, I mean, you had animation stills that were just reworked from multiple classics yeah so same image same scenario like oh, there's definitely. some with um it's like robin hood yeah and, uh, and the uh, jungle book right yeah it's jungle like book. same things yeah same things but Which also makes sense also in films like there's um dorothy's don't quote me on this but i believe it's dorothy's shoes and a ton of stuff from wizard of oz was recycled in other films yeah so then when you go back and watch those films and you know that's a trip because um it creates in a direct indirect continuity this mm-hmm. indirect, direct visual continuity, let's say. On the reverse, it kind of cheapens the the uniqueness. Yeah. I mean, it's like a back and forth. You know, it's really interesting. But um, but it also pushes heavily into the fact that, like, we're constantly borrowing in some way from our past work, yeah, from other that's, people's past work. Like, yep. nothing is 100% original ever. No, not in that Not in that poor definition of original. Not right. in that, like, utterly unique, out of nowhere idea that we use as an ideal that is just... Uh, can be helpful at times. Like if you're really trying to trying to uh, originate something radical, yeah. it's helpful to put yourself in a headspace to try to do it that way. <laughs> Honestly, I haven't done that in a while. I mean, many, many years. Like maybe I need to as an exercise. But um, uh, but the, you know, when you're talking about it, like the opacity thing, I think that that, that gave me something like the translucency thing, tra- opacity, translucency. It's it's the idea of what's in front gives way to something behind. Yeah. So it was interesting because like for me, I've spoken on this many times. Anybody that's ever heard me speak, I've said this because it's just true. Uh, 
in the eight, you know, I, I was introduced to skateboarding in the, you know, it was a pro class skateboard I found in the bushes and I was mm. four or five years old. And then, you know, had a second skateboard. It was a terrible skateboard from like what would have been a Target. This is probably before Target, but mm-hmm. it, was a, it was like a Veriflex skateboard. And mm-hmm. so I had a skateboard. It was a Veriflex skateboard. It was near a Veriflex skate factory. Mm-hmm. And so we could go there and get busted up boards, mm. um, defects, and grip tape. Nice. And so I started screwing, out, screwing around with those. I was about 10, you know, and had paint on them with um, paint stripes on them. I basically was just copying literally what I saw in skate shops as a 10 year old yeah. and um, skateboard shops. And, you know, then I got my, as a paper boy and I bought my vision gator. It was orange with stripes on it, um, black stripes. And I got orange uh, grip tape mm-hmm. and it was see-through. And so, I mean, for me, it was like drawing on the top of the skateboard and then putting the grip tape on and then drawing on the grip tape. Yeah. And it just, so what's funny is like, I didn't know how to value that, but, um, the process experience of interacting with the layers Mm -hmm. and my hand feeling the grittiness of the paper on one side and the smoothness of the board, the textural variation, like there was these tactile experiences that were activating me, my body, if you will, in a focused way, in a a way that for like a 10 year old also was an encounter with a more full orbed uh, sense of meaning Mm -hmm. um, where image was being embedded into the, uh, equation and then yeah. you had motion at play so then it was like this thing is transported by my energy I'm hopping on the board or you know if a friend was running one of the boards I goofed around with like they were hopping on the board or whatever and I didn't do that many it was just a couple but um, just the idea of that was like the next seminal step for me yeah. you know like from saying hey Star Wars which had a couple of variables that were very, very attractive to me. One was like distressed things. Mm-hmm. Cause then you go ride a skateboard and if you're going to really get into it or bicycling, like I built my own bike mm-hmm. and painted all the parts and, you know, pieced it together aesthetically. And it's like assemblage during a time when transformers was a thing, mm-hmm. Voltron. Yeah. It's like this really, really, really expansive kind of creative proposition milieu that you're experiencing. And it's got these values that are being, brought to bear so like distressed surfaces well you live in a tough neighborhood and you see distressed surfaces yeah but they're being valued they're being esteemed Mm -hmm. and so then you're seeing billboards that are decaying and it's like all of a sudden i'm looking at billboards that are being torn down with a a aesthetic value for it without really knowing that you know like I'm, i'm making leaps from the scrapes on my skateboard to the scrapes on the side of a building or a beat up car or you know a dilapidated billboard or all of a sudden there's another kind of network of aesthetic meaning mm-hmm. um, that is shaping a sensibility in me almost like whether I wanted it or not you know what I mean like yeah which is uh, become like I say like this this kind of like matrix backdrop that then I've stepped into and then cultivated more of your main characters you know, kind of like going along the motif of your, of the Warner brothers, Yeah, yeah. you know? So it's like, I've started to take hold and look for, you know, so then, so then it's like the leap from the action of a skateboard to looking at an action painter, like the Kooning starts to make a lot of sense for me intuitively. Oh, you yeah. start looking at like funk artists and uh, collectors and all of a sudden you're like, there's a direct line and this direct line, like threads back to like, George Lucas deciding to make his sci-fi world aged and distressed. Yeah. It's weird. So 
I'm going to make a statement and then I'm going to go backwards to be convoluted if yep, we're okay it. with that. I love convolution. Um, so, I mean, if we're talking broadly about how ideas kind of come together, mm-hmm. I think most of the time we think in terms of uh, network metaphors. Mm-hmm. Right? So we got our nodes and our connections and mm-hmm. we think that the nodes are the ideas, but often it's just the connections. Mm-hmm. They're the ideas, right? So the, the synaptic mm-hmm. uh, connection in the brain, what's important is the gap that it crosses. Mm-hmm. It's not the two endpoints. So same sort of thing. Um, yeah, that's kind of why I say the matrix yeah, or yeah. the nuance of the matrix, if you will. Like it's like these points, but it's the it's the activity between the points, and the points are shaping yeah. the the, exactly. the idea that it expresses, and then it becomes potentially the next sort of node shaper, if you will, or the next point for someone else. Definitely right, and we're we're maybe this will become convoluted. Um, so we're both educators, so we have both read and studied about sure. different different ways of education systems, styles, mm-hmm. ideas, whatever. Um, but within a kind of a classical education sense, the first thing you do, one of the best metaphors I've ever heard, if you're if you're trying to classically educate somebody, the first fra- phase known as the grammar phase, we used mm-hmm. to call it you know grammar school back in the day. Uh, the grammar phase is the best metaphor has been a giant pegboard mm-hmm. where you're trying to give a bunch of things of information so that they can put pegs in that pegboard. You don't care about how those pegs connect or how they're situated or how they're stuck together. You just mm-hmm. want the pegs there because mm-hmm. in your next phase, you're able to hang things on those pegs and find those connections. Yeah. Um, so if we're talking, I think, broadly about... Go know, back real fast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, give all the categories for classical education because oh, it goes from grammar. Do you know the... Uh, I always forget because uh, I forget this, the, the next two. I always get them backwards. Yes. If you say them, I'll remember. Uh, it's uh, grammar, rhetoric, rhetoric, third one. Third one. And then the second one is in between those two. <laughs> uh, is it comprehension? <laughs> it might be. Um, but it's, uh, you know, with those, it, it, it's, it, it's understanding a, a, a process or a methodology. methodology that's right. Where I was just thinking that there might be some potency in like having the, that that example just kind of elucidated a little bit more to give the other categories because they, they create a framework, a thought framework or a experiencing framework as well. No, totally. Because it's a, you know, it, and it's, it's a more, it feels like a lot, a lot more holistic in sense of understanding like where the information should be and then where it needs to go. Cause it's grammar, logic, rhetoric. That's, That's what right. it is. Grammar, logic, rhetoric. So you How have can we forget the, that. Yeah. Dang it. I was distracted by Ken Gilbertson. <laughs> is he still in here? Uh, is he in the gallery? I, I've heard some breathing. All right. And so I don't know how close to the door he Maybe is. Maybe he's eating. Um, <laughs> could be, um, but yeah, with grammar, logic, and rhetoric, you have that where you say, we want you to know the information. We want you to start to put some information together. We want you to start to form information of your own. Mm-hmm. Now, if, if we just try to say, Hey, go be original, go be unique. And we ignore the fact that we've built this entire network of things yeah. within our past. Um, I think we start to really work against the ability to make good ideas. So there's a guy named Steven Johnson who wrote a book called uh, Where Good Ideas Come From. Mm. And it's it's really helpful. And in the first couple chapters of the book, he talks about ideas as a network. And so he uses that whole thing. You know, it's connected, it's nodes, and their network's only as good as... Whenever I hear nodes, I don't think of good things. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but it's... Your network's only as good as the points that can be connected. Right. Right. So if you've got three points, well, you're not going to have a lot of connections. Yep. You know, the permutations just don't exist. Um, but he also talks about, uh, the fact that we can't like overthink the possible. Mm-hmm. So he talks about a limited possibility for us. Mm-hmm. And he, he says, um, I think the term he uses is the adjacent possible. Ooh. So we can have good ideas 
Um, but we can't have good ideas that are five steps forward. Or we can't expect to have those ideas. They can happen. They can happen. But those are the people that were really like, that's reduced. an outlier. That's right. Um, so he uses the metaphor of a house where you walk into a house and there's only a few doors that you can go through. But once you go through one door, there's more doors at your disposal. Mm-hmm. So you're able to step into the adjacent possible. So then the question becomes not, not um, how do I have a good idea, but how do I bring in enough stuff to draw from mm-hmm. so that my ideas can be fruitful? Um, right. And so that's where when I look back at things like Warner Brothers cartoons, Happy Meal toys, um, even things like the like the handle of the axe that my dad always used to split wood for the fireplace. Mm-hmm. You know, like the qualities of it, the smoothness and the roughness, the, yep. the, the things that were there, the coloration of it and the way that that kind of striated throughout different things like that. I'm like, yeah, I need to tap into those sort of things and not push those away because there is something like you're saying that's very, you know, I I grew up in a very rural state. So, uh, rusty corrugated steel and barn wood, like those things have an appeal to me in a way that I don't know that I fully understand, but they do play out. Right. Um, well, no, yeah. Like I, uh, so my parents, you know, they've, I said some of this in an episode we had where you interviewed me, but I, my parents collected records. And so they yeah. had the, you know, this was a time when, you know, if you look at like 1980 all the way up to 92, especially like that time frame, if I recall correctly, the like sound system, stereo system, stereo, yeah. really, really like, there's a big transition between stereo in the 70s to stare in the 90s, that bridge is the 80s in a lot, in a lot of ways. It seems oh, yeah, like yeah. amplification, all of this. <clears throat> and so my, you know, my dad getting like these big speakers, mm-hmm. huge speakers that were like sculptures yeah. standing in my living room. They weren't, they weren't furniture. They were, they were sound amplifiers that were bringing uh, musicality to my ear. So they were like wielders of aesthetic power and genre difference. And those were sat, you know, staged next to this, like this style of like furniture that is maybe back, but little, you know, like it was like these, uh, big pine, uh, pieces of like, uh, shelving that were like one big frame with multiple stacks too. But the, the wood was like as thick as like a four by four, but it was stained, but it was pine and it had like the knobs in it and the grooves and it wasn't perfect, but it wasn't supposed to be. It was made that way. And then you had like these rows and rows of records. So you're pulling out these records and there's image after image. So it's kind of like scrolling through, you know, your, your iTunes, you know, with your fingers, but this is in, this is embodied and you're pulling it out, pushing it back, pulling it out, pushing it back, looking at it. So as a kid, I'm in, again, like just to kind of amplify this, like, <clears throat> the next step is like you're always I'm, I'm being immersed in these environments that have objects, sound, visuals, and then and then they're consult they're curated directly indirectly to a certain uh, preferential range, you know. So my parents' curatorial preferential range and their sensibilities in terms of music and look uh, are massively shaping me. Reason why I bring that up is the same as what you're saying is that it's in imperative it's crazy to me when someone assumes the idea of ideas kind of coming from nowhere yeah because they're assuming themselves as a what is it a, a tabula rasa a blank slate yeah like passive agents yeah that that had no 
that was not okay. So this is the weird part to me, I guess. Uh, this is tangential, man. But I, this is the weird part that I, I never understand how. I mean, maybe I do, but I, I I take issue with, I guess, or I struggle with, which is how can someone, on the one hand, deny that they are utterly contingent, influence situation situationally shaped beings, postulate themselves as a clean slate, autonomous. Mm-hmm. So that they can make things that influence other people, mm. you see the the problem and the logic of that change chain, yeah. and um and so to fundamentally deny the first premise is to nullify the second. It's to say that the, uh, it's not logical that what you're doing will follow. Then, right? Um, and it it you know it drives me bonkers, but it comes because of things we've said in the past that I won't get into now, or you won't. Get, I don't think you need to get into now, which is like identity stuff and, and, mm-hmm. and what gives us value and so on. We, we think we have to create this framework that positions us in a place where we're always justified and we get all the value of what we do is squarely our own. Mm-hmm. It's like this strange idea of authorship. And it's like, as soon as you go to speak, you're already, you've already been taught by someone else. Right. You, you, we don't own things that way. We don't, ownership, I guess, is an idea. So like, where do your ideas come from? Well, they certainly come from more than just me. Yeah, yeah, you know, and uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, you know what I mean. Like, and yeah. and we are utterly shamed. So the uh, shaped. So the imperative then is that we should be thinking about what we bring into the world, and what it will certainly do to other people. Even if it's just three people, it's doing something because we've just talked about a few things, and those people don't even know that. Some of those people don't even know we exist. Yeah, but I we're mean, talking about them. And I and I want that for my career. I, yeah. I'd love to say. You know that I knew this actually impacted or sure or changed somebody, right? Because um, you were talking about flipping through records, and you know we're just a few years apart. But for me, I mean, my parents had their record collection, um, but it had kind of been put on hold, and they had a tape collection, mm-hmm. right? That was probably a little beefier than their records. Um, but yeah, it was it was interesting. Yeah, my dad had the A track collection before the record collection. Yeah, we that was a, weird. We had a few of them. We yep. had the A track player, and I was, they had it was both. Funny, yeah, yeah. Um, Super strange, especially in a car. <laughs> yeah, but the, uh, you know, the the kind of idea, even when you were talking about flipping through records, just the way that we kind of mentally do this as we think through things, and the way that these kind of influences the Rolodex, or the ideas, like how it just kind of floods through our brain. Right. You know, we've talked about satellite brain debris. It's a it's an effect of this that is sure. always there so much that with with us yeah. in longer conversations, it's always going to bleed. It's going to bleed over. Yeah. Well, that's the thing too. The satellite brain debris is a part of that matrix. Oh yeah. It's the it's it's the graspable, uh, of sort of detached material that is there. <clears throat> it bleeds through, but it also is there to pull in to make a pointer yeah. or share a laugh or, you know, any number of human kind of contacting, connecting relational things, you know? Right. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, that's, it's funny. I was like really thinking about that painting though with Aristotle and, yeah. um, you know, because because like then you you got into like I had to read a lot of Heidegger in college mm-hmm. because he talked in terms of of a, a more nuanced a synthesis of of Aristotle and uh, Plato, which was uh, this kind of earth earth world being and time motif, yeah. and that the two are mutually present in order for the third to emerge, mm-hmm. um, kind of idea. So it wasn't one or the other; it's both end kind of thing. And in many ways, um, and uh, like the Allspark, yeah. So Maybe. the Transformers don't have to be just a truck or a 
robot. That's exactly right. <laughs> it's in the it's in their um, conceding ground to each other that the thing emerges, whatever that is. That is the idea is a little mystical. It's like the idea is that it's not accessible until those two things recede into each other. Kind of weird. Uh, like yeah. I mean, uh, this is kind of interesting to me because uh, I feel like this is close to what we're even talking about with like the idea of like a network or synapses. that's what that's what yeah you know, it's like you can't you can't have a singular you have to have uh, multiples yep. that allow for overlap that's um, exactly what that's and I right. think you know it's like I think it's why we get some interesting things that come out of our mouths on the show because we have that kind of overlap with us right with the stuff that we you know what we've been you know educated in yep. what we work in things like that um yeah and also by the way is is another way of talking about the whole generative we've talked about gener- generativity in the past like that's kind of what you're saying in a way is you're you're you know you're talking about the, the way these things produce i mean it's like uh hegel with his dialectic right mm-hmm. so you come with your point i come with my point and by the end we may have some sort of synthesis of a third point that we didn't realize separately right. or couldn't mm-hmm. realize separately that we needed yeah. each other for and it. if someone one time I gave a definition of art and the person was very smart, but they, they said, well, that's so dialectical. And so I, I just paused because I was like, however I respond to you saying that creates a dialectic. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so then true. when they went on to say, well, you know, there's just a million different ways it can go. Right. But what you're giving me right now is a singular point about the million different ways it can go. You're still giving me just one point. Right, right. You're not giving me a million points. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? That's the that's the contradiction that we think is a a a mm, that's that goes back to the tabula rasa thing, the idea that you're a clean slate. You think you just made a clean slate point. But you only know that because you read X, Y, and Z Mm -hmm. and you think there's certain restrictive implications on one side that you're relieved from on the other, except for all you're doing is doubling down the point you're trying to remove. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so, it's so, it's so good. Well, yeah. And I think once I, once I moved, I'm not saying I'm away from it, but once I moved a distance away from that kind of feeling that I needed to be, you know, something that was never before seen, always new, constantly unique, always original. Once I started to throw some of that out and say, uh, in a lot of ways, I have to understand that I am, to some extent, the product of my environment. Mm-hmm. Um, once I did that, then it was like, well, what, what is actually a good, healthy vein of things from that environment? What are things that, um, you know, build up my work, not break it down? Mm-hmm. What are things that uh, invite people into my work, not push them out? Driving right. a car across the country. Yeah. I mean, hey, why not? Yeah. With some paintings in the back of the hatchback. Yeah, I mean, I I'm, guess. I'm excited to see him. I, I don't know if I'm excited. I don't know what yeah. the term is for that. Yeah, I have a curious. Feeling. I'm curious. There you go. I'm curious. Yeah, yeah, that'll that'll do. But yeah, these, I'm just I, glad he's staying at your house. No, I, nobody said that, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no vacancy. No vacancy. <laughs> no vacancy. Had a friend. Uh, they had a friend in Sacramento. This is a weird. Uh, they had a song called No Vacancy. There's a so, band called Call Me Ishmael. So he said he's from Sacramento. That's funny. So, oh my gosh, I wonder if he knows uh, he has to know this band. Maybe. Yeah. maybe. Maybe. How old's the band? Oh, they changed their name to like Exquisite Corpse. It's an f- uh, old friend named Brian. We went to school together. Oh, so he wouldn't. Yeah. He wouldn't have been in this band. No, no, no. no. Brian was. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, this was actually like this was actually a good band. I mean, I don't know if Ken was a good player. How old was Ken? Ken how, you think, how old do you think Ken is? 60? I feel like it was... 70? Uh, it was uh, tough to tell. Um, yeah. I feel like Probably he... 70. Uh, I would say 45. No. 
I think he's had a hard life. No, I think he's older. I mean, he has some. I don't. He's a lot more gray than me, dude. Yeah, but yeah. I, I don't know. It's so. He, if he's talking about Wayne Tebow and stuff, man, I don't know. He might be a little older. Yeah, maybe. Maybe he's fifty-five. I'm just thinking that he looks older than he actually is. That could be hard living. Hard living. <sighs> I feel that. I'm. I've, I'm looking rough these days. I gotta. I gotta make some changes again for like the fifty millionth time in my life. Yeah. That's why I've tried not to eat Taco Bell the last few weeks. <laughs> Sucks. Maybe I'll switch to KFC. I heard him say he's going there. Maybe I'll Maybe, do that too. Yeah. I mean, you probably smell it all when it comes back in. So, um, just a thought. So, where do your, you know, where my ideas come from? Sometimes they're just uh, like a, you're like a, a storage. Mm-hmm. We're more than an information container, but we are storing embedded information that is provoked oh, yeah. relationally, both with animate and inanimate things, and. uh you know, I mean, you know, sometimes I just see a friend's painting mm-hmm. or a work of art and it just, I'm trying to think of like the last thing that just got me where I was like, oh, this is so good. Yeah. Um, there's been some things that just, I can't think of them in the moment um, because there's almost like too many, but recently I've, I've had a, a run. Um, I'll tell you just hindsight, like what was really, uh, you know, good, good for me was to go back and see Oliver Jackson's show. That was like I was thinking that earlier. Yeah, it was really for me personally. It was like a a recapturing of where I'd come from in in into a new space, and then hearing him speak. It was it was good. It would really uh, gave me some centering. I, I will say uh, that in in that line lately, I've been getting a lot of inspiration just from the reading I'm doing. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah. that's huge. I think that uh, you know a lot of times within like spaces with makers, painters, sculptors, designers, whatever. Um, I think that we too often wrongfully prioritize the field we're in as yeah. the place where ideas should come from. Yeah. Um, and so to the neglect of other things. Um, so this year I've been trying, like even with students, friends, designers, um, when they ask like, you know, Hey, what, what about this? I'm just like, read a book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they say, well, which one is like, I don't care. You know, just give yourself another, another voice yeah. in that conversation. I don't care what it is. Like, you know, go full fiction and just read some fiction stuff, yeah. read some nonfiction. I don't care. Pick up a dictionary. Just read a right. book to give you some more of those nodes in that network. Yeah. Like I just read uh, with my kids um, uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Nice. And um, the aesthetic experience of the old paper, the age paper, and the old uh, the old prints, the old images that are like woodcuts. Yeah. Um, block print maybe. I don't know. But they're... Um, there is a continuity with... Like when this was written was like before steam engines. Yeah. So it's anticipating steam engines and like the change in, um, the Navy and like, I mean the world, the industrial revolution, it's just a, it was a fun read and full of, uh, adventure and, you know, mystery, mystery. And, um, yeah, just kind of reading it slowly with my family at night, like, Mm -hmm. you know, every now and then, like, it was really rewarding. It, it, it was inspiring. And I think I had to think like why, and I think it's because it was slowing me down. Oh, Cause I yeah, think I yeah. go, I go so quickly and I think most of us do. And we're in a, a highly charged environment all the time. It was nice to just like not have the TV on. And, um, you know, so when I say reading, like I read heavy academic stuff because I enjoy it. Yeah. That's not cause I'm think so high. I don't know. I don't want to signal like this kind of like, um, other thing, I just really value uh, reading. 
and I, I, it's worth mentioning, I didn't grow up valuing reading. So it's like, it's not like I was always this guy. It's just like I became this person over time, slowly yeah. built habits. And I just I need to hear from other people that are wiser and smarter than me. And there's plenty of them out there. So um, I find great comfort in hearing from people. And so that's really important. But reading the fiction was like, sort of therapeutic because uh, I sometimes don't give fiction enough opportunity. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't either. Yeah, yeah, my wife and I try to read the same book together Uh, a couple times a year. And so we we recently read Of Mice and Men by John Mm. Steinbeck. It's a short read, like 100 pages, right? Quick read. But um, the, the craft that he shows in his writing is phenomenal. I mean, he's one of my favorite writers because he can in a paragraph create like an achingly beautiful scene Mm -hmm. Um, in a way that um, when I hear him describe like the verdant rolling hills of parts of California, like I can't help but think of some of the sort of uh, manifest destiny landscape painting Mm -hmm. of, you know, early America. Right. Right. I mean, it's the same sort of thing where it's like there's so much promise and hope and things built up into it. Um, And those things form spaces within where a larger dialogue is happening. Like we, I think we, we also like to think that the only ideas that are happening are the ones that we're cognitive of in the moment. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm, I'm intentionally thinking about this, Mm -hmm. but science tells us our brain doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. Right. Our brain is very good at adapting and and dealing with uh, processes and uh, helping us uh, not notice the things that we constantly see, which is why we have like those like 3 a.m. or like shower thoughts where we're just like, oh, this, because something's been happening back there. Yeah, it's, it's still work. It's still processing. And so when you put things in that can influence that, like mm-hmm. ideas, I'm not going to say they become easier. They're not easier. Yeah. But I think richer maybe. Yeah. So I, yeah, I think if we think about where your ideas come from, for me, they're like leads. They're yeah. like leads that I, f- I choose to follow, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But the leads have been formulating. That's why I was, you know, I like the idea. I think it's like the philosopher Servold said that the, the pre-conscious conscience, pre-conscious, subconscious consciousness. So yeah. adding the pre-consciousness is like there's these leads that are formed in us. They're f- we're formed, and and they're and we're formed by information in many ways. And so we're formed by images and informa- information as image, information as sound, information as texture. Mm-hmm. We're in fleshed, embodied beings. And this stuff is uh, dynamically at work in us. We're just simply not inert. Mm-hmm. And so um, the, the, the gift of cogent ideation or close to cogent ideation becomes a lead to follow. And, and you know, then there becomes the curiosity piece. Do you hedge your bets and, and consume the idea before it's formed external to you, you know? Or do you follow the lead and let the externalized engagement provoke new decisions that could not be anticipated prior to making it? Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's, I think that's the tension we live mm-hmm. in. And I think the reason why we live in that tension more and more is because we have more articulated in a soft way external to us through our access to the, the interweb. Yeah. It gives us a, 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 a a way of feeling as though we have a lot more access than we do. Because mm-hmm. when we talk about full information, we're talking about being in one localized place with every textual reality that's uh, implicit within that space. Yeah, You can't do that. Mm-hmm. I can't go to both uh, um, the pyramids and to uh, the Grand Canyon in real life in the same moment. But on the internet, I can. 
Yeah. But the, at the cost to the majority of what's actually there in those two places, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, sometimes like following the lead will close on the majority of what you think you can do, but it'll probably bring about something, you know, worth, worth working on. So where, where my ideas come from in some ways takes a lot of these experiences that are, in, that are behind me and seeks to, I, I make curatorial or artist artistic choices to like bring one out. Like I've been wanting to make this six and a half by five and a half foot painting for a while and I have limited time. And so I've had to carve out time and, and I've set up my studio to allow me to step in quickly and make, because I, I got to see this one out. And already by doing that, what was partially formed in my mind is moving in a direction I didn't anticipate. Yeah. You know? I, 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 young designers and students, this is something that I think is a valuable lesson. Um, cause we, we wrongly will think of ideas in, as endpoints. That's right. Um, when they really should be <clears throat> healthily thought of as, as starting points, maybe, maybe starting points. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so there's, I had one student a few years back and we, um, we were doing, I was teaching a course, uh, in system design. And so we were looking at different ways to understand what systems were systems in design and things like that. And so the place it started was with the classroom. And I said, this classroom is a system. It's a system of choices that act upon you and you act upon it. And how do we understand it? And so we broke it down and started talking about what it was like, how it hurt or helped situations. And then uh, their first assignment was to recreate the space as a system that was beneficial for the tasks we'd agreed upon would be a part of class. And students were like, this sounds great. We love it. Once they got into it, no problem coming up with some, some thoughts, some directions. But we had two days set aside to literally physically change the space. Mm-hmm. And this wasn't moving desks around. This right. was like um, making objects, painting surfaces, mm-hmm. um, inter- introducing uh, new furniture and things like that. It was a very much open uh, thing to get them used to un- like system thinking um, in a large scale. And uh, I had one student who was like, yeah, I think there needs to be this uh, kind of like humanistic, uh, human-touched sort of thing on this wall. I was like, great, do it. And the student just wasn't getting to it. And they were, they kept thinking and thinking and like sketching and drawing. And I was like, you've got to stop. You've got to stop because right now your idea, your, the reason you can't do anything is your idea has stopped being helpful because you haven't put it in the world. You haven't made it a thing. And so I literally was standing behind the student as they had a brush in their hand, like almost barking at them, like, stop thinking, stop thinking, stop thinking. Mm-hmm. Because you need your idea to be real enough yeah. to be out there, right? I mean, so many things in life, uh, they don't become real. This sounds really stupid, but they don't become real until they actually are. Yeah. You know, so at the end... The student was like, I didn't think through most of this. I started acting on this instinct mm-hmm. that had been a part of what she'd already been learning throughout school. And through that instinct, like she made something that everybody thought was really fantastic. Yeah, it really yeah, helped yeah. the space. Yep. But it required her to just be forced into letting yeah. the idea live. Right. That's interesting because um, when Ken was in, when I noticed when Ken was in, he had a huge boom box. And I hadn't really Dude, seen you a, didn't you didn't hear the the eight oh eight beat he had going? No, I hadn't seen a boombox and I haven't seen a boombox in a long time. And that thing had I mean that thing looked like it's been pieced held together with 
over a lot of years, but he had some good stickers on there. And the way it looked, it's got to be like 40 years old. The thing was, it actually changed the space in here. I was like, the space looks different in here. This guy brought a boombox into here. Was he playing that thing? Yeah, that's how how I realized he was in the space. Gotcha. So he just started playing. I was like, I think it was like the, the, I don't know, something from like, like Planet Rock. Gotcha. So he came out. Yeah. Well, I guess that's part of what happened. I mean, that's the cool thing, I guess, about having a gallery and recording. Recording in our our studio gallery spaces, you can get people off the streets. Yeah. You just never expected to be somebody that's actually come here from far away to see to talk with you. No, not at all. So we got to figure out. That's. I mean, I'm I'm excited to maybe pick this guy's brain. Yeah, I mean, we'll it's, you know, it's 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 funny. Does um, he want to show here? Um, I don't think he wants to show. Uh, I think he wants to show everywhere. Uh, he so he says something like parking in front of the gallery during an opening. Oh. But I don't, I don't know what we have Insika coming up. Yeah, I don't that know what he's parking though. Right. Okay. Well, we need to check that out. I, mean, I don't know if he's trying to get like an RV in here. Yeah. Like, if he's hey, in the future, if any of you are listening and you want to come visit us, let us know next time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Please call ahead. <laughs> yeah. Just call ahead. We'd be happy to have you. Yeah. Um, we're happy to talk about it. <laughs> the ahead of time though. Yeah. The uh, well, you know, one thing. I'm- Maybe he'll trade us something for his boombox. I kind of want one in here now. What? Our our studio could use a boombox. I think that'd be. I, I I'd be down with that. Okay, we just have to find some like tapes that still worked and yep. like I got a, it I got six hundred tapes Dude. in my garage. Then yes, yeah, we need to do that. I even think I have uh, uh, a look. Okay, so all my tapes are rap. Yeah, but I have a Goo Goo Dolls tape. No way. One day I've told this. Story, one day I bought a Goo Goo Dolls tape and a Slick Rick tape at the same time. Did, it was did, Slick Rick's last album. So it doesn't matter who's checking you out at that store. They disrespect you. 100%. And they did. <laughs> and they did. So it's when that song came out. I don't want the world to see me. <laughs> Buying a Goo Goo Dolls tape. Because it just ain't. <laughs> exactly. I mean, can you get any more ironic than that? Because no, I don't I mean, think they'll understand. I mean, but dude, uh, it's like for a minute, Goo Goo Dolls and Matchbox 20, I feel like we're on the radio for like six years running. Baby, it's 3 a.m. I feel Oh man, that hurts. But here's the thing about pop music. This is the thing you cannot discount. It's partly why I struggle with people playing pop music in in like public places because you are infiltrating people's minds. I remember, yeah, I remember pop music and people think it's because I listen to it. I just have a a great memory for music. I could, as a kid, I could hear a song once and, and remember it. And so, I could be in like a grocery store with pop music playing yep. growing up and then I'm done for. Uh-huh. Like Britney Spears from being in a gym once, uh, uh, Toxic. Yeah. And I'm like, get that out of my head. And I'm like, no, it's in there. It's yeah. like because I'm a reciprocating beat. Like we're, it, you know, it it says something about the fact the way that uh, we, we enculturate each other. And yeah. we, but we think, we think, oh, this is so for another day. Let's talk about this another time, but let me just say this to you. We think that pop culture is trivial and on the one hand, very fun, and on the other hand, inconsequential. Mm. So we don't actually think it has any influence on us, Yeah, but it's utterly shaped us. And I'm not anti-pop culture. I'm just saying it's more serious than that. It's more serious than, the, than, than what you think. Yeah. Otherwise... You know, someone might push back and say, "Well, it's not a bad thing that you have all these pop songs in your in your mind." Who's to say? Yeah. You know, based on what? 
Also, yeah. like, what what is not in your mind because pop music is exactly. taking space. Exactly. Anyhow, super weird, but where do ideas come from? I mean, they come from us. Yeah. They well, I mean, the same other. way. It's not, uh, you know, it's, it's with music as well, but the thing that uh, my wife always finds uh, fun to comment on is the fact that if there was a commercial on TV anytime from, like, 85 to 93, mm-hmm. I, I have it in my oh, head. Oh, 100%. Oh, 100%. I had it. I mean, used to play the game. I could give you the jingles. I mean, if you yeah. start, if we start talking, it'll unpack, unpack pockets of space where those memories are pristinely uh, kept and, you know, brought out for display. Like I, it's a hundred percent. So, so here's a, here's a great, um, a great story. So, um, I guess kind of getting off track a little bit, but what, Beastie Boys, yep. we're talking about where ideas come from. Uh, so I was watching an interview and, um, the, they were talking about, uh, Paul Revere, their song, Paul Revere. Okay. And so, um, at that point, um, you know, they had, uh, they had purchased a, a, a Roland TR 808 and this was like a, it was a drum machine mm-hmm. more or less. Well, everybody was using it, right? So like Run DMC was using this, Grandmaster Flash would use this, like, you know, um, all these folks had used this, um, this stuff. And, uh, Adam Yock was like, uh, want to do something different. And they were in the studio with Run DMC and he said, Hey, you know, like, at one point, Jimi Hendrix like recorded some stuff and then like played it backwards and recorded some stuff and we should do something like that. So they had a, an 808 beat that they put down and then they turned the reel over and then they put this bass line for Paul Revere um, and there was a beat line for Paul Revere and then they wrapped on top of it going backwards. Voom, voom, yeah. voom, voom. And so what it did is it created this like really like high envelope, high decay uh, bass because they said what we wanted to do was literally bust people's windows. Yeah. And so they started, uh, they did this and they said that, uh, you know, so, um, DMC ran in and he was just like, this is the record. This is the record. This is it. Yeah. Like, this is the thing. Um, and it had come from this little split second comment about like, I think I heard this thing about Jimi Hendrix back in the day. Crazy. You know? And so the idea came from something. Jimmy's influence on rap. Yeah. And, uh, and then, you know, what happens next, you get more stuff blown up. Um, the things that feel really inconsequential to us sometimes will pop up at the most opportune time to make something. So like, you know, um, they're saying this is what it is. And then we see how that plays out, Mm -hmm. you know, going on down the line and you get into like, you you can't get into some even forms of music possibly if you don't think about that small idea that gets brought in. Yeah. Like little ruptures. Yeah. And it's, you know, and, and which I think is uh, something if we if we run up against a space where we kind of get into, I guess, kind of come in full circle in some ways, uh, the artistic equivalent to writer's block, if we kind of give into that, then we need to think about, like, we're not an end point in terms of making art and design. Yeah. We're another one of those points along the path where right. hopefully at some point my work becomes an idea for somebody else. Yeah, and con- they can a conduit. Yeah, a conduit in a yeah, lot yeah. of ways, like because you're funneling ideas that come from someone else. Yeah, so it really is like a mashup of the. It's it's a both and, many ways. It's from you. Spe- there's specified things that come from you, but also I think what what I like about what you're saying, maybe is a a place to land, mm-hmm. is just a thought, an open ended thought. Is yeah. you know I often think of this as like as kids, you know. When I was a kid, like, of course, I took what my parents said directly, but yeah. I always looked at how it matched up with everything else indirectly. Mm-hmm. And kids are doing that. If you have kids, like, you'd like, my kids are always paying attention to me off record. Yeah. And I know they are. So they're seeing how I fall short. They're seeing where the skip is, where the miss is. Mm-hmm. 
And um, so what's really interesting is there's what you think you're doing that would be the thing that's going to be influential. Yeah. And there's what's in, there's like what's off record in your mind. That's actually the thing that's in focus for someone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jimi Hendrix was never thinking about whatever he did as the thing mm-hmm. that would have gotten the Beastie Boys to go, hey, what about this? Yeah. But being known enough mm-hmm. and having enough things that were leading enabled any like someone to gain access to that secondary background point. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think uh, it's not even a both end in that way. Like you, so what that really means is you can't contrive it. Mm-hmm. What I'm trying to say is you can't contrive influence yeah. or inspiration uh, in many ways. Um, you, there's got to be a deeper conviction to make that follows from this larger matrix of uh, voices and influences and forms and communications over durations of time. Mm-hmm. And you get intentional with a... Uh, a relative level of acceptance for what also could happen yeah. that might be the thing that someone else decides is important to them mm-hmm. that you did polish up and craft to reflect your identity. If you will, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. So, um, I don't know. There's something in there like that. I'm thinking I'm listening and processing, you know, last couple of weeks and just thinking like there's something in there that emerges that I find worth, worth considering, you know? Yeah, definitely. So, definitely. Anyhow, you, what do you think? You think this is a good place to? I I need to go eat. I'm I'm curious to see if there's any chicken left. Oh, man, good luck. Um, yeah, uh, I think yeah, I think it's a good place to wrap things up because um, you know, I mean, what are we going to stop talking about ideas? No, what are you just <laughs> going to stop having ideas? Yeah, done. End of day. Finished. Done. Um, but no, I think it's a good place to wrap up, especially with a with a call to everybody that's listeners. Um, yeah, where do you get your ideas? Where do they yeah. come from? Uh, you know, trace that back, but also think about uh. You know, what are the spaces that are good crossovers? Because I think there are, you know, there's some topics that spin off of this, right? When we talk mm-hmm. about things like collaboration, interdisciplinarity, yeah. stuff like that. Also, this is, this is how some of that might be helpful as far as future shows to curate that people can submit to. Yeah. So uh, how can we brainstorm future shows at Shaco Art Space Studios to uh, solicit your work from to give you a platform to exhibit it? Like, I mean, let's make culture. Yeah, let's do it, folks. So, as always, thanks for listening. We love you guys. Thank you. Uh, Have a great week, and we'll uh, catch you next time. Later. You've been listening to Shaco Art Speak, a production of Shaco Art Space. We are an independent, nonprofit art gallery in Richmond, Virginia. We can be found online at shacoartspace.com and in real life in historic Shaco Bottom.